you got a Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, we are continuing our series entitled Dear Church. Uh, Dear Church, where we're walking through the seven churches of Revelation, and we've only got a couple more. Uh, we've got uh, Sardis this morning, uh, Philadelphia next week, right? Not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Brother Dwayne, right? Philadelphia and Asia Minor. And then uh, the last week, right, uh, uh, we've got the church at Laodicea, which is uh, the well-known one, um, you know, amongst those that have been in church any point in time. And so uh, we're buzzing right along and super excited to be in the church at Sardis uh, today in Revelation chapter 3. And so uh, beginning of that chapter, starting in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 6 uh, together. And so if you're there, let me know that you're there by saying there this morning. Uh, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6 uh, and then uh, and then go from there. And so this is what uh, the word of the Lord says. And to the angel or the messenger of the church in Sardis write. The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Again, this is talking about Jesus, right? Whenever it talks about the seven spirits, seven stars, you know, there's there's a lot that's there. You could spend a whole sermon just highlighting some of that there. But but basically what he's saying is there there isn't seven spirits that uh, uh, that number seven stands for completion. So it speaks to uh, the spirit of God There's one one Holy Spirit. He, right, one Holy Spirit, Spirit of God at work in these seven churches. He's the one that has done uh, the work, right, and seeing folks saved, seeing folks grown in him, right, uh, and he is uh, uh, with Christ, right, connected to uh, him. And so, long story short, the one who's in control of these seven churches, the one who is in rule uh, of uh, these churches and of the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And then he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Why don't you pray? Excuse me. Why don't you pray with me? God, we love you. God, we ask that you'd have your way this morning, Lord, as we walk through. God, your word to the church at Sardis, Lord. I pray that, uh, God, you would speak to us, meet us where we are today, Lord. As verse 6 highlights, Lord, it's not just talking to the big church in large, Lord. It's talking to individuals that are there within the church. And talking to individuals here uh, this morning. You have a word for us today. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we'd be still. I understand that, uh, God, your servant's listening. Speak to us now. Meet us here. And we ask these things all in your gracious and heavenly name. Amen. And amen. 
I read a story this week about a, uh, a preacher named Jim Dunn who had the reputation of um, going a little too long in his sermons, Brother Neil. He, he, loved, he loved to preach, and so he had a tendency of going a little too long. Instead of cutting it off at 30, 35, he went about 50, 55, on to an hour, an hour 15, you know, sometimes. Went a while. And the issue was those within the congregation, after a while, they got a little tired. And so, man, they started dozing off, right? Uh, we've all been there before. I'll be honest with you. I'm a preacher, and I've sat in sermons where I've dozed off, man. We've all been there. And so folks were dozing off. Folks were struggling. And one day, his wife, her name was Gladys Dunn, right? Uh, she was one who was, you know, super extroverted, connecting with folks. And one day after a long sermon... Right. Miss Gladys went up to one of the members who she hadn't met before uh, and said, hello, my name is Gladys Dunn. And the guy said back to her, amen, I'm glad it's done, too. (laughs) Here's the reality, right? Hey, we all struggle, man, with being a little drowsy, getting a little tired. Right. And, And there are times when we may doze off, fall asleep, whether it be in a sermon. Right. Or, or whether it be at work or other or other places, we all struggle. We're all tired. We're humans. Right. That that is part. That, that's just the reality of things. Right. Because of where we're at in life. Man, some of you are in a season where it's crazy, stressful. But but here's the issue. Here's an issue. Whenever you're spiritually asleep, that's where trouble comes. That's when trouble comes. Whenever you're spiritually asleep. Did you know that, hey, you can be up walking around Doing everything you can do and, and be spiritually asleep. Hey, you, you know that you can, man, you can be up raising your hands, singing a song during a worship service and you could be spiritually asleep. The issue comes whenever we find ourselves spiritually asleep. And, and that is where the church in Sardis was. Unlike the other uh, churches here in these seven churches, we don't see any kind of, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, encouragement, right? We don't see any kind of accommodation, right, for how the church was operating. Man, hey, that, he just, Jesus just comes out and says, hey, this is where you're at. You're a mess. And the issue was, the reason why they were a mess was because they were asleep. And, and here's the reason why they were asleep. Because, man, they were basking in the days of old. Hey, it says here that it was their reputation, right? Their, their reputation uh, gave prudence to the fact that they were awake but jesus knew their heart they, he knew the fact that they were asleep sardis right at one point in time man was a thriving city thriving community and the church was thriving as well right the, but the thing was they ended up living off the good old times here it is they ended up living off of yesterday's faith and there wasn't any kind of growth or maturity that was taking place in their life and here's the truth. Can I just be honest with you today? Maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you're in here and you're living off of yesterday's faith. Here it is. You, you may be in here and man, hey, you got saved. You've been saved for a while. You've been doing the church thing for a while. You, hey, you know the, uh, you know the uh, ordinances of the church. You know the songs, uh, you know that you sing at the church. Hey, you, you know Bible verses within the church. But you're as dead as a doorknob, man, because you hadn't heard from God in a while. And spend time with him. Maybe you're in here and, and you you do the whole church thing, but you're living off of yesterday. It's like, man, I, I miss the good old days, man. Miss the good old days when those certain songs were being sang. Or, or man, I, you know, I was in that certain church building or I was in that certain part of town. 
And because of that, man, you're asleep. Living off of yesterday's faith. Here's the reality. The call for us as believers isn't to live off of yesterday's faith. Man, it's to live in today and to experience him today, to walk with him today and to grow in him today. Hey, the call for us is to follow what Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says. As we've received Christ Jesus, the Lord, continue to walk in him, rooted, built up and established in the faith. I've entitled the sermon simply this living or simply this yesterday's faith, yesterday's faith. The church in Sardis, they fell victim to that. The God that they worshipped was a lot sweeter to them back then than he was at that point in time in the now. And when you find yourself in that same place where, man, God was sweeter back then than he is now, then listen, you are living in yesterday's faith. And it's time for you to wake up. Real quick this morning, how do we choose not to walk in, right, the the faith of yesteryear? I.e., how do we choose to wake up? What does it look like for us, right, to not have yesterday's faith, but to experience and walk with God now? What does it look like based on what we see here in the text? It's a couple of truths here. Then we'll be done. The first Truth we see here. How do we not walk in the faith of yesteryear? Is this. It's understanding that we need revival. We need revival. Go back to the text. Make sure you know I'm not making it up. Jesus says, says, hey, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die for i have not found your works complete in my in the sight of my god remember then what you received and heard keep it and repent what he's saying there is man they need revival and within that those couple of verses he gives a couple of imperatives a couple of commands in the original language for what it looks like he lays out right what it looks like what steps we need to take in order to experience uh, revival. And we'll highlight that here in a second. But before we do that, I just want to say we've talked about uh, uh, the need for uh, revival. Right. Uh, we, we've heard that said before. What does that really mean? Some of us think revival equals, you know, us hanging out in a tent. Right. Uh, you know, worshiping. Some of us see revival as, you know, either a Billy Graham sermon being played or going to a Billy Graham crusade or some famous preacher of days old. Right. That's what we think of revival. But that, that's not necessarily what revival is. I, I, I love the quote. Right. I actually uh, put it on social media yesterday that I read pertaining to revival. J.I. Packer, he says it like this. Revival is the visitation of God, which brings life, which brings to life Christians who have been sleeping and restores a deep sense of God's near presence and holiness. It's a visitation of God which brings to life Christians who have been sleeping and restores a deep sense of God's near presence and holiness. Man, it is waking up a heart that is cold. Here it is. It's waking up a heart, right, that is just set out on doing, right, and and, uh, walking through the motions of the Christian faith. It's setting the heart ablaze. And it's a work of God. God's got to do it. God's got to do it. 
And so we've got to understand that. Well, you say, Pastor Irv, you said that there were four imperatives, commands that he gives here on, on how to experience revival. Yes, that's true, but God's got to be the one that does the work. Got to be the one that does the work. I love this other quote by Leonard Ravenhill. Well, look what he says about revival. It's on the screen as well. We cannot organize revival. Hey, but we can set ourselves to catch the wind from heaven when God chooses to blow upon his people once again. Though we can't manufacture revival, hey, we can set our sails, right, whenever God does come and move, set our sails for, for us to catch the wind, to have our hearts set on fire for him. And Revelation 3 gives us how we do that, right? What does it look like, man, for us to uh, take steps to experience revival? It looks like this. Number one, choosing to wake up and strengthen. It says it right there in the text. Wake up and strengthen. Uh, whenever he talks about wake up there, he's, he is um, illustrating or communicating the fact that uh, th- there is an awareness of the reality that you're asleep. He's speaking to the fact that, man, you come, you have come to an awareness that you are asleep. Right. And we've got to get to that point. Hey, you can't experience revival if you don't understand that you're asleep. You can't experience revival unless you, you humble yourself and see the fact that, man, even though you may be doing a lot of good things, man, you hadn't experienced God in a while. So you need to wake up, wake up. Right. It speaks to the fact that we understand that we are asleep and we need him to wake us up. Can I be honest? Some of us in here, and I've been in it in my life, man. Some of us in here may be real good at sleepwalking. May be real good at sleepwalking whenever it comes to our spiritual life. Hey, listen, if that's you, man, hey, quit. You ain't got to settle for that. Man, choose to understand the need. Man, to be woken up and choose to take steps to wake up. Ephesians 5, verse 11 through 15. Paul is given... Uh, uh, practical steps of, of wisdom right to the churches there in Ephesus. And look what he says. He says this. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And anything that becomes visible is light. So therefore, it says, awake. O sleeper, and arise from the dead. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Man, we've got to wake up. Got to wake up. Some of you in here, man, again, sleepwalking. Good news is you don't have to stay there. Have to stay there. But you can wake up, man, and hear from him. Wake up. Strengthen. Whenever he talks about strengthen there, it implies the fact that we are weak. Here's the issue in Sardis. Not only did they not think that they need to be waking up, woken up, man, they thought that they were strong. Things were good. They were doing the whole church thing. Brother Sam, hey, they, they showed up at church. Their, man, their church was was pretty full on a Sunday morning. The folks that were there, man, they sang every once in a while. Man, th- things were good. They didn't, they didn't think they needed to be strengthened. But Jesus knew their heart, and the fact was they really did need They thought because of legacy and buildings and the culture that they had in the past that they didn't need to be strengthened. And we, too, can fall into that same boat. We can say, man, hey, I 
you know what? I don't need God. I don't need to be strengthened in him because, man, I'm further along than that person I'm sitting next to at the church house. Hey, listen, I, man, I, I don't I don't need uh, uh, the Lord's wisdom and direction in this. Man, I've been living this life for a long time. I'm not Hey, I'm not like that person that's new to faith. And they got to a place where living in pride and they found themselves dead. Man, the call for us is, man, to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. You say, Pastor, what does that look like? How, how do we do that? I, I love what First Samuel 30 says here. David is King David right at this time. Man, after God's own heart, right, had some struggles in his life. He was in this place and the enemy camp. They were looking to essentially capture and kill his wives and children. He was in a mess. He was in a mess. And look what it says he does. And David was greatly distressed, which all of us get to, by the way. Uh, we all get to a point where we're greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David says strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Hey, he was the... Man, that they sang songs about. Dave, you know, Saul slays his thousands, but David is ten thousands. He, hey, he was the man that, man, folks, you know, God himself said he was after his own heart. He could have wrote off past successes. He could have wrote off past victories and past glory. But he said, you know what? No, I need to strengthen myself in him. Hey, his response was a signal of the fact that he was alive and well spiritually. When we get to a point when we don't, we think we don't need, man, the Lord's strength or we need him to strengthen us, that's when we find ourselves dead. And so we need to wake up and strengthen ourselves. Secondly, what it looks like, right, to experience revival, the fact that we, we, we know that we need revival. It says here to remember and keep hold of. Remember and keep hold of. God was telling the church in Sardis, hey, go back to the, the good old days. Don't dwell there. But go back to those days, man, whenever, man, you experienced me at work. Go back to those days, man, when, when you, you heard my voice, man, when, when you were filled with the Spirit and God used you to do great stuff. Go back to those days. Those of us in here that, that are dead, right, we want to experience revival. Hey, go back to those days of old. Man, when, when you could sense the presence of God right then and there, you know what I'm talking about. I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not here trying to come off as, you know, one of those hyper-spiritual people. You've been in those seasons, man, when, when God, it seems like God is sitting there right next to you. Man, go back to those days. Man, and meditate on those times when he was there. Remember those early days of coming to faith and how excited you were, man, to serve him. Man, remember those days. Those early days when you were excited, man, to pour in and invest in, man, your kids, bring them to church. How excited you were whenever you saw that friend come to faith. Remember those days of old and keep hold of them. I love what Psalm 143, 5 and 6, what it says here. It says this, I, the psalmist, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder on the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you. Like a parched land. Remember those days. Man, I've got to do that myself. 
Ministry is not, hey, you know, just being real, just keeping it 100 with you. Man, ministry isn't easy at times. Man, and the Lord's got to take me back to those early days, you know, back in college when we were, I was traveling in this ministry group. Man, paying to go. Broke as, as all get out, Brother Ben. You know, straggling to get some money, man, to go eat at McDonald's. Get me a little, you know, six-piece nugget. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, those days. Y'all remember those days, by the way, some of you in here. Y'all remember them? But those days, man, where we just, I just did ministry, man, just because I love God. And got to see him do a great work, man. See, saw lives change, people saved. Man, folks that were, you know, down in the uttermost, experiencing God, man. God's got to take me back to those times, man. Reinvigorate my heart. And hey, in the same way, for us in here, man, hey, we've got to go back. Remember and keep hold of those times, man, when we saw God do a work. Man, and meditate on those times. Listen, we need revival. The people at SARS, the reason why they were dead was because they didn't think they needed it. Hey, can I, can I just be honest with you? Spoiler alert. We all need revival. All need. And so, man, choose to understand that. And choose to wake up, strengthen, remember, and keep hold. Secondly, let's keep moving here. And what does it look like not to fall victim to living on yesterday's faith? Secondly, it looks like this, understanding that we need repentance. We need repentance. Look what he says, going back there. He says, hey, remember, man, what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Right to what Jesus is saying there, hey, repent. Man, get right, turn around. Or else judgment is coming. Hey, on Father's Day, right? Uh, hey, parents in the room, grandparents, y'all know all about judgment. My father, you know, who, who passed away last year, hey, he was one that was about judgment. If I didn't do right. I remember, man, two of my worst years, I think I've said it before, but I was thinking two of the worst years of my life, school age-wise, was fifth grade and eighth grade. I don't know why. Don't know what was going on, you know, at that time. I don't know. Maybe because the Cowboys were so bad, Brother Ben. I just was acting out. I don't know. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. But I remember fifth grade was horrible. Man, I got in trouble all the time, got detentions. And I remember my, hey, my dad saying, look, get right or else you're going to get that belt. And I remember, you know, towing the line, ended up getting that detention, didn't turn around, didn't get right, and I ended up getting the belt. Get in the bill. Say, Pastor Herb, what's that got to do with this? Again, I've said it before. Some of us in here, we know about the mercy and grace of God. It's there. Right? Romans 2 tells us, man, it's the Lord's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's, it, it, he is patient, long-suffering, 2 Peter 3, 9 says. Right? But one day that patience is going to run out. It's going to run out. And so for us in here, the call is to repent. It's to repent. Don't just think that you can coast on the grace of God and just do whatever you want. By the way, that's a signal that you may not even know him to begin with. If you think that, man, you can do whatever you want, you know, and just coast on the grace of God. But those of us in here, man, that, that, that are dead for whatever reason, man, choose to turn around, choose to repent. I love, again, what J.I. Packer says about repentance here. He says repentance, as we know, is basically not moaning and remorse. But it's turning and change. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. We all want progress, 
But if you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. In that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive, one that's further along in progress. And so repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. Hey, it's more than just saying, I'm just going to shake it off. But it's deciding to turn around, turn around and say, you know what? I'm I'm not even going to be a part of that anymore. That's what repentance is. And we need to repent. He calls for the church at Sardis to repent, called for them to cut out, man, the stuff in their life that was tripping them up. And in the same way, he's calling for us to do so as well. That's a part of repentance, by the way, cutting out the stuff in your life, man, that may be, you know, keeping you in that same place that keeps you stumbling. Cut it out. Get rid of it. Remove it. That's what repentance is. And by the way, I'll go ahead and throw this in no charge, right? Talking about turning around, right? Making about face, running the opposite direction. Hey, you're either running in the way towards God or running away from him. There's no standstill, Christian life. And so repentance looks like us choosing man to make an about face and run to him. We need to repent. Proverbs 28, 13 puts it this way. It says this, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Man, I'm thankful for mercy. Those of us in here who are dead because, you know, we've been doing our own thing, hadn't been living for the Lord, man, not following him in obedience, whatever that call looks like. Hey, don't conceal where you're at. Man, choose to repent and turn back to him. We need repentance. Say, Pastor Irv, man, hey, I've been in church a while. I've said a ton of prayers. Hey, you still need repentance. Hey, Pastor Irv, man, I'm a leader here at the church, man. Hey, you still need repentance. We need repentance in the church in Sardis, man. They needed repentance. And then thirdly and lastly, How do we find ourselves not falling victim to the faith of yesteryear? Thirdly, it's understanding that we need to remain in him, remain in him. Go go back to the text here. Just walking right through it. Man, Jesus, he, he says, hey, get right. Repent or I'm coming like a thief. Man, I'm going to bring forth judgment. But then verse four, yet you have. Still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, right? That uh, uh, illustration speaks to right in that time there in Asia Minor in Sardis, right? When folks wanted to go to the temple to uh, worship their gods, man, they didn't go in in dirty clothes. They didn't go in and soiled up garments, man. They, They had the most pristine. They had their Sunday, Monday and Tuesday best on whenever they went into the temple to worship these false God. And so he's bringing it into this context. Hey, those in Sardis, man, who chose right to stay awake, those in Sardis who have decided, you know what? I'm, hey, I'm all in for Jesus, not just in word, but, but indeed, I'm all in for Jesus, not just with my lips, but with my life. Those who've decided not to soil their garments, decided not to sell out, 
He says this. They will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. We conquer through man knowing Jesus, right? The one who endures to the end. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. The call for us is to remain in him. Uh, endure in his name. Choose not to veer to the right or to the left. Hey, choose not to be hot for Jesus one day and cold the next. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Hey, choose not to make your Christian life a roller coaster ride. Man, but choose to remain in him. And those that remain in him to the end prove the fact that they are followers of Christ. Some folks may use this, say, hey, you know, so the, they ask the question, does that mean you can lose your salvation? Well, we know in Scripture it says, no, no, we're, we're secure in him. Sealed to the day of redemption, Ephesians talks about there. But what we do see is, right, those who do endure, right, they were the ones that were saved, that knew Christ. If you're saved, if you're in Jesus, man, you'll endure to the end. Doesn't mean you won't trip up, doesn't mean you're going to live perfect, but you'll endure to the end. And so, man, that means the call for us is to remain in him, remain in him. Real quick, what does that look like? Remaining in him, just practically speaking, it looks like this, choosing to be attached to the vine. Attached to the vine. John 15, 5, it says this, I am the vine and you, right, talking about us, are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he It is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Can I just be honest with you here? Jesus talking, right? He's speaking to us, right? His disciples and the call for us to remain in him, right? Abiding in him is going to lead to us bearing much fruit. Here's the truth. A lot lot of reasons why you may be dead, hadn't heard from God in a while, is because you're not walking with him. Not spending time with him. Not abiding in him. You say, Pastor, man, hey, I I got the little Bible app, man. Hey, verse of the day. Man, it was fire. You know, and hey, that's great. I'm not, hey, don't hear me. I'm not bashing the Bible app. Bible app's great. But whenever it talks about abiding, right, I mean, that means intimate relationship. There's a reason why Jesus, right, uh, you know, makes the comparison, you know, of him being the groom and us, the bride, right, speaks to intimacy, there. Right? It, it's dwelling in him, spending extended time with him man, every single day and spending time in prayer, man, making that man, the first part of your life. Say, oh, man, hey, I got a family. I got kids. I got a lot going on. I get it. I get it. But be intentional about carving out time, making time. Looks like prayer. Looks like us, man, digging into his word. You say, Pastor Irv, I don't know where to start. Man, I encourage you to start. Hey, start in the book of John. Those of you who aren't in the Bible, man, start in the book of John. Man, read, read a few verses a day. Just journal what God may be sharing with you. Start somewhere. But listen, we've got to abide in the vine. Here it is. I'll just put it up. 
it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter about your church heritage, right, and your church background, your family heritage background pertaining to Christianity. If you're not abiding in the vine, if, if you are not staying connected to Jesus, you're not going to grow. not going to grow. And you're going to find yourself dead like the church in Sardis. That was their mistake. Man, they weren't spending time with God. And so we've got to abide or stay attached to the vine. And then secondly and lastly, listen, we have got to choose to stay attentive to the mission. Stay attentive to the mission. I like to put it this way. You've heard it before. So cliche, but it's so true. Keep the main thing the main thing. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Hey, the church of Sardis, they had forgotten about this. They had forgotten about the mission. Forgotten about the mission. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the Age. We've got to stay attentive to the mission. Stay attentive to the mission. I had the opportunity of uh, going, uh, being in uh, Los Angeles area this week for, you know, our national convention. And, you know, I love, love our, you know, convention. I grew up Baptist saved at a Baptist church. Man grew up in Baptist church. But what's taking place is that some folks have not stayed attentive to uh, the mission at hand. They have made, right, uh, uh, the Christian faith, right, more about philosophy and ideology than about loving Jesus and being on mission for him. And because of that, I'm just going to keep it 100. There's some of them that are there that may find themselves like the Church of Sardis, man, dead. And we, too, can fall victim to that when we forget the main thing. When we make our Christian life about, man, ideology and philosophy. We, we make the Christian life just simply about uh, theology, which, hey, by the way, that's great. Theology is great. We need theology. Man, it's great to have conversations right about certain aspects of the faith. But, man, if that takes over the mission, then we're in a mess. Hey, listen, on the other side, if... The thought of, hey, man, we want to stay relevant in, in culture, man. Hey, I, I want to be able to live a life that, that I, I do whatever I want, but at the same time still say that I love Jesus. Hey, i.e. liberalism, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Man, if we find ourselves like that, man, then we're going to find ourselves dead. We have got to choose to stay attentive to the mission. Attend to the mission. And that mission is, man, making disciples. Man, sharing the truth of Jesus Christ with those that are around us. Sharing the reality that, man, he came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead. So that folks can come to know him. And then choosing to invest. Here, we forget about this part. Choosing to invest and pour into the lives of those that may not be as far along in their faith as we are. That includes your children. That includes those in this very room as you befriend them, get to know them. That includes those in your family group. We've got to choose, man, to stay attentive to the mission. 
Man, we need to remain in him. I'll close with this. Um, I grew up and uh, leftovers were a staple in our home. I don't know how, how many of you guys are, you know, can relate to that. Growing up, leftovers were a staple, you know. All right, five, six of you. Um, that's all good, all good. No, you know, I know y'all are ju- probably judging us right now. Oh, man, he's leftovers. It's all good. I loved them. But, uh, but we'd grow up, you know, Saturday morning, man, we'd have, you know, leftover, you know, baked chicken that we ate the day before. And so I grew up loving leftovers. I remember as I got older, one time my parents went to this, you know, real fancy uh, restaurant in, um, you know, in Dallas. I don't know if they've got them around here, but it's called Papa Do's. You've probably heard of it before, a little, good little seafood place. And, uh, and they came back with leftovers. And, uh, and I remember thinking, okay, ooh-wee, I'm, I'm ready to eat. I'm excited. Going to be good, you know. The next day, pull it out, man, try and eat some of that leftover fish. And, boy, I made a mistake. It didn't keep. didn't keep. Right, there were some things, right, that, uh, you know, leftovers that, that keep well and other things that don't. I had to throw that uh, away. Uh, right, because I know, man, Papado's is a great restaurant, man, to go and eat at. The food's great whenever you get it fresh. But, man, whenever you choose to, quote, unquote, live off the glory of how good it was the next day or the next couple of days, it ain't as good. It ain't as good. Hey, you know where I'm going, but I'm going to go there anyway. Hey, the same thing can apply to our faith. May we choose not to be people like the church of Sardis, man, that lived off of, man, the faith of yesterday. The, quote, unquote, good old days. That, that's, that's what they coasted on. They said, man, hey, culture, heritage, man, the, hey, the days of old, man, they, all awesome. But they weren't experiencing God in the today. They weren't walking with him in the today. And because of that, they found themselves dead, even though they appeared alive. Man, hey, they were dead. They were sleepwalkers. Here, they were zombies. Zombies. May we choose not to be those types. Hey, the world, man, hey, the world doesn't need a whole bunch of zombies walking around with the appearance, you know, that we're alive, but, man, we're dead. Man, hey, they need folks that have woken up, alive, man, sharing the hope of Jesus with those that are around us. I want to be a church full of alive Christians. And so may we choose not to live off of yesterday.